Good morning, everyone. Everyone doing okay? Well, we, we began last week in a new series called Awake, which is walking through our mission and our values at Grace Marietta. And if I asked you to, to state the mission of Grace Marietta, and we begun with somebody, who would start it off? This is going to be participatory and interactive. The first part of the mission is to, is the first word, awaken, who? Each other to live kingdom dreams, where? To awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that is fast asleep. And Ben last week spent time speaking to us about that as being the what, the thing that we're trying to do. And he also began to talk a little bit about the how, the method, how we do this. And last week he spent a significant amount of time speaking about the priority of love and the priority of honor and how we should be firewalls and not conduits to things that people say that are negative about one another, and that's how we honor one another. And he spoke somewhat about the principles in Matthew 18. If you have something against your brother or sister, first thing you do is you tweet about it, is what it says, right? <laughs> the first thing you do is you, you go on social media and you say terrible things, and you go to all their friends and you say terrible things about them. No, it's the exact opposite of that. The first thing you do is you go to the person that you have something against and you try and straighten things out there first. And if that doesn't work, then you bring another in and so on and so forth. And that was the principle that Ben began to speak about last week as some of the how we're going to accomplish the awakening of each other to live kingdom dreams in the world that's fast asleep. And this week, we're going to spend a little bit more time looking at the how. And, and, and the way I want to do that is, is by discussing some kingdom principles. Matthew 1352, Jesus spoke about the importance of being instructed and wise about things of the kingdom of heaven. And so as Christians, it's important that we have a sense of the principles of the kingdom of heaven, how heaven works, how heaven gets things done, how heaven works as opposed to how the world works. Sometimes we spend days and weeks and years and months going to school and learning how the world works, but we're ignorant of the things of the kingdom. And Jesus doesn't want us to be ignorant of the things of the kingdom. And so often, he took time to speak to us in parables. A parable is really just like a simile, an analogy. It's laying something down that you understand to help you understand something that you don't understand. And so Jesus, if, if he were here today, probably wouldn't speak very much in terms of farmers and a sower goes out to sow because are there any farmers in our midst? No. How many people shop? Everybody. So he might begin a parable by, there's a person who goes on the web to shop. Or there's a lady who goes to TJ Maxx. Or Marshalls. Or Macy's or Nordstrom or wherever. Or on the way to Nordstrom and so on and so forth. He'd, he'd make sure that the parable was relatable to us. So by understanding the thing that we do have understanding and comprehension of, we'd get a sense of the things that we don't really have comprehension of. So Jesus was always saying the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. And I said this is going to be interactive and participatory. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to divide the congregation into four sections. This is section one. Everybody in section one, raise your hand so you know you're in section one. Everybody, section one. Uh, this is section two. Everybody in section two, just show, raise your hand, you know you're in section two. And everybody, as far as Ryan and Silvana forward, so Ryan and Silvana forward is section three. Ryan and Silvana back is section four. 
Okay, so section one, show of hands. Section two, show of hands. Section three, show of hands. Section four, show of hands. Okay. All right, now up on the screen, there are going to be four passages of Scripture. And section one, you have to, here's what you have to do. You have to read this passage of Scripture, and you have to begin to work out what some of the kingdom principles are in that passage of Scripture. So group one, you're going to look at Matthew 13, verses 3 to 9, and 18 to 20, 23. Group two, you're going to look up, and this is a little cheating because Matthew 13, 31 to 32, almost says the same thing as the other two passages, but it felt unfair that everyone else had so much. So I think you should look at it in the other two Gospels as well, just so you catch up. Group three, the front half of the center section, please look up Matthew 13, 24 to 30, and verses 37 to 43 of the same passage. And group four, those of you at the back, please look up Matthew 25, 14 to 30. You have five minutes. Somebody have a timer on their watch or phone that can shout, Ali, thank you. Five minutes beginning now to look it up, to talk about it with the person next to you, to talk about it in groups, because once we're done, I'm going to ask you questions about it. And this way, we're going to get to process these four passages of Scripture together, rather than me teaching it to you all. Group one's going to tell you what one says. Group two's going to tell you what two says, three and four, and so forth. All make sense? Go. Five minutes with some, we, obviously, we need background music, I guess. Yeah, and if you need Bibles, sorry, just raise your hands. I'm assuming everyone either came with one or has thousands of them on their phones. So remember, read it and talk with at least the person sitting next to you about it. What are some kingdom principles that you get in the text that you're reading? What are some things that Jesus is trying to teach us about the kingdom from the things that you're reading?
Okay. So it's okay to, it's okay to shout out what, what you have to say when I ask you the question. So the, the group one, so I'm speaking of group one, so you're going to teach everybody else. So, so what was it you read? It was the parable of the, the sower. So in the parable of the sower, it says that a ki- uh, someone sows some seed. Right, And I want you to all bear in mind that we're thinking about if you have a kingdom dream, if you have an inkling, a sense of some God thing, some God purpose, some word that God has spoken, right? I think Jesus is telling us that these things should all apply to how you work that out. Things you can expect, things you should watch out for, that's why we're looking at them. So a parable of the sower, so that someone sows, a man sows, seems as if God is always sowing something. And what's interesting for me is that he sows, and the first seed lands on what? On the path, hard ground, right? And what happens to the seed that lands on the hard ground? Snatched up by birds. Okay, so the birds come and snatch it up. What happens to some of the rest of the seed? Nice and loud. Falls into soil, but it's not good soil, right? And it begins to grow. And what happens to it when it begins to grow? The sun comes down. It doesn't have any root. And it withers. And some seed falls where? There's a third place it falls, amongst thorns. And what do the thorns do? They choke it out. And so it doesn't get very far. But some seed, and this is amazing, some seed actually makes it to good ground and good ground. And in that good ground it grows and it yields. What's the numbers? 30-fold, 60-fold. Hundredfold. And I find that fascinating. 30 times, 60 times, 100 times in that parable. And Jesus' disciples, when he tells the parable, have no idea what he's talking about. And so that's why in the later passages in 18 to 23, he begins to tell them here the parable of the sower. And he explains to them that the seed that falls on the wayside is the seed that God says something and the person just doesn't understand it. And because they don't understand it, while they don't understand it, Satan just comes and snatches it away. You don't remember what it was. You don't remember what the thing God told you to do was. You didn't understand it. You didn't fathom it. You did absolutely nothing about it, and it just gets snatched from you. That's a real possibility that can happen to every single kingdom dream, every holy calling, every sense of something that you have that God wants you to do. You don't get it. You do nothing about it. Satan snatches it, and you go on with your life. The second thing that happens in the parable, Jesus seems to say that the stony place is, is, is really ground in which there's no possibility of any root growing. But the person who receives that seed springs up quickly. And so it's telling us, I think this is the kingdom principle, that you can have a sense of something to do for God, but you can get so excited about it and you just rush into it. And you rush into it. You don't spend time laying down some roots. You don't spend time preparing about it, thinking about it, planning about it, building relationships. Jesus spent 30 years before he really began his ministry. He didn't flame out. He persisted. He finished it. But that scripture also tells us that opposition arises because of the, persecution arises because of the word, right? And the word is the sense in which God's told you something and the reason you're going to face opposition is because of the thing God has told you. There wasn't any before. The second you begin to walk with the God thing, then comes the opposition. If there's no root, there's no depth, there's no waiting, there's no planning, there's no prayer, there's no soaking this in, in, in a sense of the spirit. It's never going to work. Opposition will come. You'll quit. The third seed that fell in the thorns, the thorns are called the what? 
Group one, they won't know if you don't tell them. The worries of the world, the cares and concerns of the world, and the, and the deceitfulness of wealth. What's it telling us about wealth? Is that it looks good. There's a trick. We can go through our lives pursuing it, making decisions about making money, but at the end, the accumulation of wealth is deceitful. And it's the equivalent of thorns choking out the seed. And so you realize what's happened here is some seed, no one understood it. Satan snatches it. Some seed, you spring up, you're excited, you start. It gets difficult, you quit. Some seed, you start with, you begin to be drawn aside to, I need to think about this care and this concern and this care and concerns. If you want to know what they are, just list the things that the world cares about and put those things in that place. Those are thorns that will choke the word of the Lord. But the beautiful thing about the parable is it ends in a place when 30, 60, 100 fold, the seed that does make it to the good place almost more than makes up for none of the rest of it. And so God's sowing in, in his, this his giant heart of love. He's saying, I'm going to sow in anyway, even though some of it's not going to be understood. I'm going to sow it anyway, and though some of it's going to be just, just, just grabbed and rushed into, and then they're going to flame out. I'm going to sow it anyway, even though some of it's going to get choked by the cares and concerns of the world. Because the seed that does make it, that's going to be enough. That's going to be enough. First parable, kingdom principles, useful for a kingdom dream. Let's move to the second one, the parable of the, what did you guys have? The mustard seed. The mustard seed is the smaller seed. What do you think that's trying to tell us about kingdom things? Exceed your expectations. Is it trying to tell us anything else about mustard seed? If it was this huge thing, the kingdom of heaven is like this biggest thing you've ever seen. No, no. Might it be telling us that kingdom of heaven beginnings are always little? When Jesus comes, how does he come? As a mighty conquering king? Or a little frail, fragile baby who Herod tries to kill? And so if that's significant, and he's born in the most important city in, in, in Israel, right? Or is he born in Bethlehem, which is some backward, no one thought anything good was going to come out of their city. Even when the the men come from the east. They're not going to Bethlehem. They're coming to Jerusalem. They have to search the scriptures to realize that this was where Jesus would be born. So I wonder whether the mustard seed is telling us about kingdom things is that they might begin so small and so insignificant and so frail and so fragile and so weak that we think they're pointless and nothing good could come of them without nurturing, without patience, without watering, without time without letting God do the work. And in those other two passages, they're pretty much the same. There was nothing different in the other two, the Mark and the Luke passages were. They're saying, saying the same thing. But eventually, the small, insignificant, impossible-to-see thing becomes what? A tree, a giant tree. So it seems to say that the kingdom thing can begin small, but at the end of the day, it's going to begin and end differently. It begins small, ends obviously. Ends visibly, starts intangibly, imperceptibly, something that maybe you don't think is much, it's too little, why bother with that? But the end of it, if you walk it out in faith, it becomes this massive tree that the opportunistic birds all come and join in. So don't be surprised if you start off with the kingdom thing that later on in the calling, everybody sees it. Everybody sees it. Everybody gets it and they tell you, I saw it all along, they're lying. They didn't because it was a small kingdom thing. Is that another useful kingdom principle for us to, to think about when you're thinking about the kingdom dream? Do you have something in your heart that seems so small and insignificant that it won't matter, won't make any difference? Trust God. 
believe God. Persist in faith, remembering the first parable. There's no need to rush into anything. Take your time. Build the relationships. Do your research. Do your work. Pray, 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 wait. And then in God's timing, then, so that when the opposition comes because of the word that you're trying to walk out, you persist through the cares and concerns of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, and you're not dragged aside to those things, and fruit and the little seed becomes the big tree. And so you guys at the front, this is really easy, we can talk to you right here. Your parable was the parable of the, the weeds, the tares, right? What do you know about tares and weeds? Do you have to force them to grow? No. It says that weeds grow because men slept, right? While men slept, we were talking about this downstairs earlier, while women slept and men slept, women fell asleep first, the men fell asleep later and snored <laughs> louder as women snore. <laughs> Not as much. That's scientific right there. <laughs> but here's the point. The sleeping is inevitable. None of us should look at the parable and say that at the end of the day, man goes out and sows, and while men slept, that's not me. While men slept, it is us. We have to find ourselves in the text all the time. We can't read the text and see someone else. When I began to do this thing that God called me to, I slacked. I, 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 didn't, I wasn't as zealous as I should be. I took my time. I didn't do it the way I should have done. I waited. I waited years. I did it the wrong way. I messed it up. While men slept, what does the enemy come and do? He sows mess and disruption in the midst of it. But the interesting thing is, in that parable of the tares, Jesus doesn't tell them to go and rip out all the weeds and to fix the mess, does he? He seems to say that you just got to live with the mess. This is the principle I want you to get from this one. Live with the mess. Expect it. Expect if you do anything for God, anything kingdom, it's going to get messy. And the enemy's going to get in and sow things into the midst of it that are going to cause mess. And sometimes if you spend too much time trying to pare it out and separate it and work out what's right and what's wrong, you'll read up this parable saying things that were good things. Leave it to God. Let God do the separation. Trust God. Walk out the thing that God's calling you to. And trust God. Recognize that we're weak and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to make errors. I've got a good friend who's here. I'm not going to point to him, but he's full of so many spiritual truths. And I'm going to share something that he once said to me. It's a scripture. Proverbs 14.4 says this. Where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. What's that telling you? That if you want a clean manger... Get all the oxes out. If you want strength, fill it with oxes, and with oxes comes mess. Mess. So if the thing you're trying to do, you want perfect and clean, do it on your own. <laughs> if you want strength, get others involved. But when you get others involved, you might get people involved who maybe shouldn't be involved. Let God deal with that. Discern as best as you can. But let God sift and weed out in his good timing. Don't let that stop you doing it. I think this parable is really clearly saying there is going to be an inevitability of of mess and mingling. Get used to it. Leave the separation to God. Do our best to not sleep and slumber. But when we do, because we do, expect the mess to get worse. And at the end of the day, if you want strength, lots of oxes. Lots of oxes. Bring something to sweep up the mess and wear a nose peg. The essence of ministry, right? It's true. You want to do ministry, it's going to smell bad, 
and create a mess. If you want it perfect, do it on your own. You know, I often just get upset with people all the time. <laughs> and the point is this, if I don't want to get upset with anybody, I should just go isolate myself in the closet and then eventually I'll get upset with myself, right? That's, that's the reality of walking out a kingdom dream, okay? Fair on that parable? Could we move to the last one? The last parable is the parable of the talents, you guys at the back. What's that about? You've got to shout because you're far back. Let's be bold. Everybody's getting shy. Okay, using the talents that God has given you temporary use of. So that's all about the principle of stewardship, isn't it? A good steward is someone who says that this thing I have, this, the time I have, the treasure I have, the talent I have is not mine. God's given it to me, and at some point he's going to come and say, what did you do with it? What did you do with it? I gave you this. I gave you this. What did you do with it? There's an accounting coming. There's a reckoning coming. There's a, there's a sense in which God's going to look at every one of us and said that you had these gifts and you had this talent, you had these, this time, and maybe he'll show us a clock with exactly how many minutes and seconds we have, and we will weep because of how much of it we wasted and didn't use it. But interestingly, in the parable, he gives to each according to their ability, right? God chooses. Don't be jealous if God gives someone a lot and someone less. If you have a little, if you have a lot, do what you've got to do with it. You've still got the same responsibility of stewardship. He gives to one man how much? Sorry, held up the hand. There was a clue. Five. <laughs> He gives to another man how much? It's a trick question. Two. He gives to one man how much? One. And there's another parable. Um, it's the parable of the miners or minas, don't know how you pronounce it, in Luke 19, where he actually calls 10 men to himself. And he gives one to each of them. One to one, one to another. Every one of the 10 gets one. Similar parable, similar principle. And then he goes away. That's a sense in which there's, Kent's saying, it's the steward, it's yours. Do something with it, steward it well for me, but I'm coming back, I'm gonna ask you what you did with it. I'm gonna ask you what you did with it. What did you do with it? What did you do with it? I gave it to you, it wasn't yours, don't own it. I'm coming back and I'm expecting to, you to give an account for what you did with it. And there's three levels of return. There's some people that he calls, well done, good, and faithful servant. There's the return of the good and faithful servant who does something that pleases the master. That's what we all want to be, right? When Jesus comes, then we want him to look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant, with the things I gave you, the talent, the treasure, the time. This is a good return. But there's one guy who's upset. Why is he upset? He's afraid of the master he says, you're a hard man, you're an austere man, you reap where you don't sow, you're a this, you're a that. And so what did he do with his? He buried it. And master comes back and says, oh, well, hold on a sec. And so effectively, there's zero return. He gives him back his. The, you gave me one, I give you back one. I should be, I'm not expecting you to be pleased that I gave you back one. But you actually turn and say, well, hold on a sec. The least you could do, the least you should have done was to put it in the bank with interest. Right. If we all have money in checking accounts earning zero interest, we're doing the same thing. If we're earning a little bit of interest, that's the least. But you realize that the person that gets the increase from five to ten does what? There's a word beginning with T that it says. He goes and trades. What's trading? 
involve risk. Risk of loss. Oh, wow. So, I mean, I could try and I could fail. Trading is a necessity of faith, right? Trading means that I have to do something. And sometimes the reason we say we're afraid is not because we're actually afraid. We just don't want to do anything. It's easy to blame the master and say that the reason I buried it is because of you. No, it's because of me. I was afraid of losing it. I was afraid of making mistakes. I was afraid of it not working out. I was afraid of somehow, I don't know what, rather than fearing God and fearing God who's given you these gifts, these kingdom dreams, this holy calling, and said, go work it out and be bold, trade. Trade is, I'm like, Jake, I got, I got, a, I got a Bible. What do you give me for the Bible? And Jake, what are you going to give me for the Bible, Jake? Five dollars. So I get five, five, I wouldn't do the trade. But if I, I got to take five dollars, and with five dollars, somebody needs five dollars. And, and, and I can't remember, there's a movie that this happened in. I can't remember what it was, but someone ends up with a huge amount because they take something that somebody needs, that somebody doesn't want, and then sell it to someone who needs it. And so if I bought, if you owned 50 toilets, say, and you own toilet roll, um, and I knew there was a crisis coming <laughs> of stomach sickness, <laughs> right? I buy his pointless toilet roll and pointless toilets, and I'm going to be king of the toilet and toilet roll in 20 minutes, right? But that's trading, and that's a ridiculous example, but it's the point of it is at the end of the day, risk, risk. Do business till I come, Jesus says, and he was interested in working out how much each had gained by trading. So these are kingdom principles that you have to apply if you're thinking about a kingdom dream. Whatever the kingdom calling is, whatever the holy calling is, whatever God purposed for you from before the beginning of time and said, this is what I want you to walk in. This is how I prepared you. This is how I made you. This is how I gifted you. Your gifting is different from his or hers. Don't worry about that because as it said, he gives to each according to their ability. Who gives you the ability? God. Who gives according to ability? God. But pay attention to these, all of these things. And if you were reading the parable of the sower, maybe if you just put the the. the Text, well, just you'll find it the parable of the sower, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the tares, the parable of the talents. Just spend some time looking at all of them and prayerfully just asking God to reveal kingdom principles that will help you get from the beginning of the kingdom dream to the fruit that is 30, 60, 100 fold. Isn't that what we desire? In Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. The writer of Hebrews, having written the immense chapter 11 that summarizes the walk of faith of everybody from Abraham and Sarah to um, David and Jephthah and Gideon and, and Moses and others, and then some who are unnamed towards the end of the chapter. He says that we also, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, you can almost insert to the life of faith. Let us, that's not me, it's us. We do this together. Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. You look at that, it's interesting because sometimes we think the only thing that's getting in the way is sin. 
And this scripture seems to describe sin as something that easily ensnares us. I'm just walking about my way and just like this runner across the road, suddenly I trip and I'm surprised by it. Don't be surprised by the ease with which sin ensnares us. But always make sure you distinguish the sin from the weight. We all have weight that is in the way of us walking out the holy calling, in the way of us walking out, working out that kingdom purpose. And I promise you this, you won't know what the weight is until you start to walk. The journey discerns the weight for you. I think I've used this example before. If I had on a huge diving helmet, you know, the ones that you go to the bottom of the sea and someone told me that the race is to go to the bottom of the sea, I keep it on. If someone told me the race is to run 100 yards, what's the first thing I'm taking off? That. The race defines the weight. If you're stagnant, that's when it's hard to work out what the weight is. Weight might be friends, associations, your occupation that isn't the God occupation, the things you spend your time focusing on, the priorities that you have, the way you eat, how you spend your time generally. All of these things can be weight separate from sin. Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with what? Endurance. It's not a sprint. It's a long, long, long race. We have to persevere. Back to the parable of the sower. Opposition is going to come. Prepare yourself for it. Looking unto Jesus, the author, finisher of faith. And this is the interesting part. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God might call you to something that isn't pleasant in this life. I think it's fascinating. Sometimes we think every kingdom dream is going to be fun. I think there's joy in it. There's joy set before us. There may be things that God says, I'm calling you to this. And you're like, I don't like that a whole lot. I'd rather this. This is more popular. This feels easier. But recognizing that if we are joining in the suffering of our Lord, even in Gethsemane, not my will, but yours, God, that we as Christians are called to sometimes say that. God, what do you want from me? And for the joy set before me, give me grace today to walk in that, whether I want to or not. Fill my heart with joy and love. Reveal to me your holy calling. Give me grace to work it out to the best of my ability, that I might be a good steward who, when you return, you look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.